Evangelism is, is something that I've always been drawn to, even early in my, my Christian walk. It's not been something that I've necessarily done in large groups, that I've gathered large people around me. I haven't been like George Whitfield and had thousands of people around me in a field, as he did many, many times in his life. But early on, I began to seek after opportunities to share the gospel. I, I became overwhelmed with the grace that had been shown to me, the fact that the Lord had forgiven me of my sin, the greatness of my sin, the seriousness of my sin was covered through the blood of Christ Jesus. I was likewise amazed at the overwhelming grace that the Lord had shown to so many within the scriptures. And I was amazed at the Apostle Paul, one who had sinned in such great and incredible ways. And yet the Lord in his grace chose to use Paul for his glory, chose to call Paul, made Paul blind so that he could see. And Paul ended up bringing the good news of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, writing much of the New Testament. And I used the evangelism techniques that were given to me at the time, those, that, those on the college campus that people were utilizing at the time. And one of the techniques that I used for many, many years was a technique and a little track, a little yellow track, called the Four Spiritual Laws. And I would say that if you communicated rightly, you would communicate the gospel out of a track like that. But in my understanding now, I've come to realize that there's, there's much that is lacking in such a simplistic presentation. And one of the most striking things that is missing from such a presentation is the concept of repentance. And those of us that would utilize that track and we became very familiar with it, we would almost not even look back to the track at times because we were so familiar with what we were going to communicate with someone else. And that's honestly how it should be with any canned presentation you have. You should become familiar with what you are sharing with others in such a way that you shouldn't need to look back. Because let's be honest, when you see the conversations that Jesus had in the New Testament, when you see the conversations that Paul had during opportunities that the Lord gave to them, you see them communicating in many different ways. It wasn't just a strict canned presentation. And so those of us that utilize this little yellow track and this four spiritual laws would, would we'll, we'll just say, um, enhance it slightly and emphasize certain aspects of it to rightly communicate who God is, what man's problem is, and the solution that the Lord has given to those who would turn to him and trust in Christ by grace and through faith. That track began, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. That was even the way that I would many times begin a conversation. I had a friend of mine that reminded me of that the other day. Aaron, do you remember when you'd stand on the street corner with those little yellow tracks, people busily walking by you to go into the bars and the clubs, and you would just be saying, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. I think back on it now, and I, and I, and I remember how, how odd that was that the people hearing what I said many times interpreted those words very differently than how the scriptures would even understand that and the love that God had even for those that are not in Christ to be very general and the wonderfulness of the plan of God for the life of someone to be very distinct and lightly different than what a worldly person would imagine. But the Lord calls us where we are and the Lord sanctifies us where he brings us to him. But that was when I was in Campus Crusade for Christ, and we used that little yellow track, but there was a second track that we would use. So we would use the four spiritual laws to, we would say, get someone saved, to bring someone to faith in Jesus Christ. We'd pitch these four spiritual laws. They'd walk through the four spiritual laws. They'd respond in a prayer that was sealing the deal they were in at this time. But then they needed to mature. They weren't mature at this point. And so we had a second track that we would use for this person who was a Christian, so we believed, but yet wasn't mature at this point, and that was a little blue track. And that track was called 
how to live a spirit-filled lives. Now, the track had different titles over the years. And one of the illustrations that we'd use for this person who we believe came to faith in Christ Jesus, but yet had not matured, it was not spirit-filled at this point, was a diagram. And we had this diagram, three different diagrams that were there. And the parts of the diagram were a cross, a chair, and then a little stick figure person. And we would talk about the fact, we would give them three different categories of existence that people can be in. And the first category was that of a natural person, a a self-directed life. And we would say this, someone who has not received Christ, self is on the throne, you're directing your own decisions and actions, often resulting in frustration, and Jesus is outside of your life. And so there would be a circle there with a chair, the cross would be outside of the circle, and on the chair was this little stick figure. So this was natural man, right? Natural man doesn't accept the things of God. The second one is the spiritual person, and it's one who is directed and empowered by the Holy Spirit. We'd say Jesus is in the life, he's on the throne, self is yielding to Jesus, the person sees Jesus' influence and direction in their life. And in that illustration, we would have the chair, and then we would have the stick figure person on the ground, and on the chair would be the cross. This was the idea Jesus is sitting on the throne. Now, there was a third category of person that they had in this track. Now, I would be just fine with these first two categories. I think they're very reasonable and appropriate, but the third one is the so-called carnal person or the self-directed life. They say this is someone who has received Christ but lives in defeat because they're trying to live the Christian life by their own strength. Jesus is in their life, but he is not on the throne. Self is on the throne, directing decisions and actions. And we would have a picture there of Jesus now, the the cross inside the circle, but the little stick figure is sitting upon the throne. And the purpose of this track was for us to encourage these people who had accepted Jesus, had asked Jesus into their heart, to now make Jesus Lord. You accepted Jesus as your Savior. All right, you, you've received his grace. You're, you're going to heaven, but you're missing out on so much now because you're directing your own life. You are Lord of your life, and you should make Jesus Lord of your life. Now, there's a great many problems that we can point out with what I've already communicated from this track. There's a great many other things that we can point out that are in error within this track. Now, the reality was that the instruction that many of us were receiving within our churches was so far below even what I'm communicating here that we really thought that we were into some really serious Bible study, that we had some really great material here that we were sharing with other people. Now, this idea that you can be Lord of your life and be saved by grace and through faith in Jesus Christ while Jesus is not Lord of your life, is an error that many people make. And here's the truth. Here's the reality. Jesus is Lord. Whether you accept it or not, he's Lord. You you don't make Jesus Lord of your life. God's not changing. We are the ones that must change. We are the ones that must recognize his sovereignty. We are the ones that must recognize his rule. And the other error that we had with these tracks is the idea that we communicated the idea that producing fruit was something that was secondary to the Christian life, that you could be a Christian that accepted Jesus, asked Jesus in your heart, became a Christian, hardly ever darkened the door of a church in your life, had no real change in your life. Perhaps you said a prayer after someone else. There, there, was, there was a response that you made. There was a declaration that you made many times, a repetition of the prayer that was in the back of the yellow track. But many of these people, we found that they, they, be, they would say this prayer after us and, and they would not leave the Roman Catholic religion. They, they would continue to go to Mass each and every Sunday But yet perhaps they would come to our meetings. They would come to our our gatherings. It's a very 
it's, it's, it's very wrong what we did, I would say. Communicating this idea that you can continue to be Lord of your life while accepting the grace of Christ, that you can have Jesus as Savior but not Lord. You don't become a Christian because you are doing good works. You're not saved by grace and through faith because you do good works. But there will be fruit in your life. You will be a changed person. You will be a distinct person. It will be significant for many people in their lives, though it may not be the same for all people. You're saved by grace and through faith, as Paul writes in Ephesians 2 and verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. The good works that follow, the fruit that follows that changed life, the fruit that follows that profession of faith in Christ Jesus does not result in your salvation, but is the fruit thereof. It is the evidence, you could say, of one who has been saved as one who has been changed. And that's very much the topic of our of these of the scripture that we'll walk through today in Luke six forty three through forty five. Producing fruit, the good tree producing fruit, and the bad tree producing fruit. Let's look over that passage forty three and forty five. It says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure in his heart produces good. The evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. There's two things that I want us to recognize within this passage. The first is the two trees. You have two trees in this passage. You have a good tree and you have a bad tree. And the second thing that you will see is two fruits. The two trees produce different kinds of fruits. The good tree produces a good fruit, and the bad tree produces a bad fruit. So let's look at this first point, the two trees. We see that in 43 and 44. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit, for figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. There are good trees and bad trees. That's what Jesus is communicating in this passage. There's good fruit and there is bad fruit. There's not a middle ground. There's not a middle place that you can be. There's not a place where you are in between being unregenerate and being regenerate. Now, that's an idea that's communicated many times in Arminian theology. Is they, they, they want to bring man. They don't want to be full Pelagian. That's the idea that man is born just like Adam and Eve were, unaffected by sin. That's considered a heresy. That was deemed a heresy after a debate between St. Augustine and a heretic named Pelagius. And so modern Arminians that stand against God's sovereignty will seek to make a, a middle place And they will say, well, God gives a a prevenient grace. That's grace ahead of time is what it's communicating. And God brings someone to life. God gives someone a little bit of understanding. It gives someone a a little bit of grace to to awaken so that they're they're no longer in a, a state of deadness. Imagine like Lazarus in the tomb and Jesus made him... Well, not dead, but maybe mostly dead or, or partially dead or just really, really sick. But just enough so that he could reach out and grab the elixir that was sitting there on a table next to him and then drink it. But he had to reach out. He had to grab it. He had to drink it. And that was going to result in his, re- his change, his, him being uh, brought to life, him being resurrected. This is a nice idea. This is an idea that that some may think sounds good. Most likely, in your own experience, that's how you remember that you came to certain understandings in, in, in your mind and in your life, and that's true. But there's a change that happened in you. 
And this idea of prevenient grace is not a concept that we see within the scriptures. There's not a middle ground. You're either dead or you are alive. The Roman Catholic concept of purgatory is not a biblical concept. It's not as though you can get so far in this life and then after your death, the Lord is going to take from you the rest that you deserve. You would never end. You cannot pay the debt of your sin. You cannot experience pain and atone for your sins. There's nothing you can do through your own actions to atone for your sins. So there's not three states of existence as we communicated in that little blue track. There's not a natural person, a spiritual person, and a carnal person. There's natural man, all right? And there's a spiritual man. There's a man who is dead, and there's a man who is alive. We have two possible positions scripturally. That is it. Let's go through a few of them. One is a child of God and a child of the devil. We see that in 1 John 3.10. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. He gives two categories of existence. You're a child of God or you are a child of the devil. You have natural man and spiritual man. 1 Corinthians 2 verses 14 and 16 The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Again, two states of existence, a natural man and a spiritual man. He does not bring into the conversation this category of the so-called carnal Christian. This person who continues to walk in their sin unrepentant and continues to believe they are Lord of their life rather than Christ being Lord. Matthew 25, 32 through 33, we have this concept of sheep and goats. Verse 32, before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Next, we have the concept of darkness and light. Those are the two states of existence that you can be in. It's not you can be in darkness, you can be in light. And then there's this third state of existence. You're either in darkness or you're in light. Ephesians 5 and verse 8. For at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So often this is Paul's encouragement to the Christian. This is what you are. You are one who is alive in Christ. Live as one who is alive. You are one who is in the light. Live as one who is in the light. You are one who is no longer a slave to sin. Live as one who is free in the Lord. Next one, dead in sin and alive to Christ. Romans 6 and verse 11. So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You're considering that, dear Christian, because that is what you are. You're dead to sin. You are alive in Christ. But some would say, but wait a second. Well, doesn't the Christian grow? Isn't there a change? I mean, are you the same person you were when you became converted, when you trusted in Christ that you are 30 years later? Doesn't he sanctify people? Their answer is absolutely Yes, he does. The Lord sanctifies his people. The Lord grows and changes his people. We have an immediate sanctification. Both of these are communicated in Hebrews chapter 10, this idea of an immediate sanctification. It says, and by that we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. You have been sanctified. If you're in Christ Jesus, you are changed. You are distinct. You're not what you once were. It is very stark, but you're still being changed. You are changed. You have been changed, and you are being changed. And that's the progressive idea of sanctification. That is the Lord changing you and working within you through his ordinary means of grace. As the people gather on the Lord's day, as they sit under the preaching, as they sit under the prayer, as they sit under the word read, as the word sung, as the people are gathered together and participating in the Lord's Supper, and the Lord is changing you 
in your life through the work of the word and through the spirit. And we see progressive sanctification just a few verses later there in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So the same author declares that you have been sanctified and that you are being sanctified. The Lord is changing you. you we were not brought to faith in Christ Jesus merely so that we would go to heaven when we die. That is a fruit of, that is a result of that. But you're also being changed now. The Lord is changing you even now. Those of you who have been changed are in fact being changed. But you must be changed. There must be a change in you. You must be a distinct person. The Lord Jesus, the Apostle Paul, they don't say you must merely come forward and repeat a prayer after someone else. We must not get into such superstitious behavior as to believe that I can mechanically just get people to be converted merely by getting them to repeat certain things after someone else. There must be a change in the person. The person must be brought from being in a state that is dead to sin and being alive in Christ. They are distinct just as the trees in this passage are distinct. Those that are distinct from those that were fig trees and those that are distinct as those that are thorn bushes. And you can't have Jesus as your Savior and not your Lord. For you must recognize who the Lord is, that he is Lord of all. Can you imagine that? Ponder this idea. Lord Jesus, I really love all of your blessings. I love all that you're doing for me. I love all of the blessings that you're giving to me, the air that I breathe. I love all that I have. I love the fact that I'm going to heaven when I die. I don't need to follow you with my life, though. I have no real desire to make any changes. I desire to continue to walk exactly as I am right now. That is not a regenerate person. That is the unregenerate person. The unregenerate person receives the blessings of God. The unregenerate person sits under the rain, sits under the sun, receives the blessings, the good things from God, but is not thankful to the Lord. Consider what Paul writes in Romans chapter 1. And you consider that. Does this, does this sound like one who is a believer? It says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because he has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Look at what Paul is saying here about this unregenerate man. Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. That is a description of this so-called carnal Christian, this, this so-called person that has trusted in Christ, has believed in Christ for their salvation. But they do not recognize Jesus as Lord. They do not recognize the, the need for them to change at all. How can you be one who has seen the glory of God, has seen the greatness of God, has seen the creation of the Lord, and has come to a recognition of the seriousness of your sin, that you are hopeless in and of yourself, that on your best day you fall short. There's nothing good that you can do in his sight, and you have thereby found no hope in yourself, that you have turned to the only means, the only hope the Lord has given, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ, who never sinned as you have sinned, but lived a perfect life, and the Lord Jesus Christ who took upon himself the fullness of God's wrath that you could be saved. And you tell me that you come to the cross and believe upon him, trust upon him, and you are a changed person, but yet you don't change. You say, I 
just want the world. There must be a change. You must be distinct. You go from being a good tree to being, you go from being a bad tree to being a good tree. There must be a distinction. There must be a change. And we, we've said this before. This is, this is an idea that was communicated in a very famous track by J.C. Ryle. And he asked the question, what if an unholy person went to heaven? That's the question that he asked. You, dear friend, you, you, you have, you, certainly you have a desire to go to heaven and not go to hell. I mean, who would desire to go to hell? But you have no desire for holy things. You have no desire to be distinct from the world. You have no desire to be changed. You have no desire to pray, to read the word, to sing the word, to hear the word preached. You have no desire for these things. They are but boring to you. They are but in your way from doing that which you desire to do most. You are a worldly person. You care not for heavenly things. You care not for that which is eternal. And the question that Bishop Ryle asks is, what would you do in heaven? You want to go to heaven. But the truth is, as others have said, you, you don't want Jesus to be there when you arrive. You just want to indulge in the lust of the flesh. You want to indulge in your own sinful desires without any of the difficulties of this fallen world around you. That's not heaven. No, we must understand the doctrine of regeneration. The fact that the person is going to be changed. The person who has trusted in Christ Jesus, that has believed upon Christ Jesus has received a gift from God, has been changed. Their heart has been changed. Their eyes have been opened. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's the description of one who is in Christ. That's the description of the man who has been changed. You are a new creation. You are distinct. You are different. You are not what you once were. Is that you, dear friends? Is that you? Have you been changed? Have, have you been brought to life? Are you, I'm not asking you, I'm not asking you that in the midst of an emotional event, if you raised your hand. I'm not asking you if you walked to the front at a time when, when the lights were dimmed and you repeated a prayer after someone else. You may have done all of those things. I'm asking you, have you been changed? Are you distinct? Are, are you different? Which tree are you in this passage? Are you the good tree or the bad tree? Are you the tree that produces good fruit or are you the tree that produces bad fruit? I'm not talking about perfection, but I'm talking about a change. There must be a change. As it says, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. There must be a change. You must be made new. The new person that trusts upon Christ, the one who is alive, is trusting in Christ as Lord and Savior not partitioning this out, that I will take these good benefits from the Lord, but I will have my fun here on earth. Do you know the wreckage that this kind of theology has done in people's lives? There were those that believed that that's what baptism would produce, that at the moment that I was baptized, I actually saw a Twitter post just, just a couple days ago, and someone has their baby, and their baby's getting sprinkled, and it says, Praise God, here is one who is being removed from the clutches of Satan and brought into the kingdom of God in the fold of Christ Jesus. And a brother that I know responded, that's not how that works. That's not how that works. The change must happen. You must be distinct. We, we must not believe that some kind of superstitious behavior, even something as good and blessed as baptism, to go and project upon that, that merely putting water upon someone is actually changing the heart of the person, or putting the water upon someone is, is in some way forgiving their sins. 
There are those that would sin up their life. Where I'm saying this in the middle of, I think this is like Mardi Gras time. I don't know exactly when that happens, but it's somewhere around this time. I'm seeing king cakes when I go out to, to different stores. And that's even that idea that we can sin up as much as we want during this time. And then we'll have Lent. And I will give up eating pizza or I'll give up eating chocolate as though that in some way is atoning for my sinful behavior. This is wretched that I can just sin and live it up and then, okay, at the end of my life, throw some water on me and now I'm going to be forgiven. Is that good fruit? Is that true conversion? Is that true life? Is that one who really loves the Lord? Is that one who desires to spend eternity doing what the saints are described as doing in the book of Revelation? Singing praises to the Lord for all eternity. You would be bored you would find heaven absolutely boring. Why do you want to go there? No, the change must occur. There, you, you must be affected. You, you must be changed. Only then can you produce good fruit. Only then can you bring forward what the Bible describes as good. So we've seen the two trees. I want to emphasize now on these two fruits. The two fruits, for they both are producing fruit. But one is good and one is bad. They, they aren't the same. Luke 6 and verse 45. The good person out of the good treasure in his heart produces good. The evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. There was a great controversy that, that happened many decades ago through the 80s and through the 90s, and it, to a certain degree, is still happening now. But so much of this, these techniques of very poor evangelism have just permeated evangelical churches that we, we don't even think about these categories anymore. But there was a book that John MacArthur wrote many years back, and it was called The Gospel According to Jesus. And this book that he wrote raised no small controversy with some theologians out of Dallas Theological Seminary. And Charles Rowry and John Wavard and I didn't say his name right, and Zane Hodgins in particular had great issue, great concern with what he wrote. For MacArthur was saying that the person who has been brought to faith in Christ Jesus is going to be changed, and they're going to have a changed life, and they're going to produce fruit. And these men that were coming from a dispensational mindset, though MacArthur would be in a dispensational mindset, his soteriology was not flawed as those that were coming out of Dallas Theological Seminary, soteriology being his understanding of salvation, how it is that God changes you and the results of what God does. A lot of times we say, well, I got saved. That's fine to say, I understand. I came to faith in Christ Jesus. This is the point when I was changed. And you can say that you were saved and understand you were justified at that moment, but we also need to understand that you are, you are being saved. And you're not being justified, but you're being saved. There, there is a process to your salvation, and it results in you being sanctified, you being changed. Ultimately, you are going to be glorified. You're going to exist in a state in glory that is not like you're in now. Right now, you're in a state of grace. You can sin, you cannot sin. You are free and in glory, you will not sin. You will be made new. You will have a, a resurrected body. And you will be in glory with the Lord for all eternity. And these dispensationalists that came out of Dallas Theological Seminary had great concern with what MacArthur wrote. Because they said, if you are saying that the person has to produce fruit, you're saying that the fruit they are producing is resulting in their salvation. And they went back and forth, and Rowry wrote a book, and then MacArthur wrote another book that was called uh, The Gospel According to the Apostles, and then there was another book that was written by Charles Rowry, and then ultimately St. Hodges wrote a book, and he went so far in that book to make an argument, and this is the best that I remember it, but he basically argued that someone could come to faith in Jesus Christ, and then they could spend the last 20 years of their life as a practicing Buddhist, and the truth is they were, they were saved, because they... They asked Jesus in their heart. They, they, they trusted in Jesus at that time, so it would affect them. There, there's no guarantee of how it is they would be changed. Now, 
There's many parables we could look at in the New Testament that would explain what's going on with such a person, but that's how far the man took this logic, this idea that someone who has been brought to faith in Christ Jesus doesn't actually have to be changed, doesn't have to be a person that is distinct from the world in any way. There was a group that I had run into when I was uh, over at San Jacinto Junior College, and I was working with the Baptist student ministry at the time, and I was working as an evangelism director with that particular group, and there was this group of gentlemen that were on the campus at that time, and they, they, they had a, I won't go much into what they believed, but they were very much in line with this dispensational idea of how it is that, that you were saved, and they gave an argument to me. They said this, they, they said, look, you must understand that the, that the person confessing Christ, professing Christ, the person there is producing fruit. That, that's, that's evidence of the fruit. And that is sufficient to meet the qualification to check that box that you will produce fruit. They're a good tree. They produce good fruit. It's a good thing to confess Jesus. Now, who would deny that? Who would say that to confess Jesus is a bad thing? To say you trust in Jesus is a bad thing. To, to say that you're a sinner in need of the grace of God is a, a bad thing. Let me say this. I've got a tree in my front yard, and it is what is called a, it's, I've never heard of this before. It's called an ornamental pear tree. When I found out I had a pear tree in my front yard, I was excited. It's like, hey, it's a big tree. This tree does not produce fruit. This is a great tree if you want a tree that looks like a pear tree, has flowers like a pear tree, but never produces a pear at any point. This is the tree for you. But as far as any legitimate goodness of pearness, this tree produces it not. For the Christian, fruit is important. It is necessary. It is a requirement. One commentator named Linsky says this, this emphasis on fruit is essential we recognize every tree as its excellence or its worthlessness only by its fruit. There is no other way to tell the quality and the nature of the tree. And you must imagine this as someone, perhaps you had an almond orchard and your desire is to care for these trees and to fertilize them and to water them and to do all that is necessary to get a crop from them. And you go through all of that trouble and then receive nothing. You would say those trees are worthless. Would you continue to go back out and water and fertilize it every single year? No, you would not. You would say, this is worthless. I need to remove these. But what about the campus Christians that made that declaration? This is the profession is fruit, is it not? Does that not qualify as fruit? And I would say this. We need to qualify such a profession. We need to consider such a profession, such a declaration a true profession of Christ, a true profession of your faith in Christ, of your belief in Christ, a profession even of your repentance and, and change is most certainly fruit. Such a profession can only come from a heart that has been changed. And so you could say, well, there it is. You said it can only come from a heart that has been changed. And so the person's doing this, therefore they have been changed. You know, there's someone else that I knew in my younger years, and I may have said this story before, but he had this idea, and he looked at the verse in the Bible that said, you can only say that Jesus is Lord by the Holy Spirit, and he began to walk around and have people just read that verse. Just read it out loud. This was his evangelism as he walked around to Taco Cabana. He was like, would you read that? Okay. You're saved. Next person. Would you read these words? Okay. You're saved. All right. That someone else would be like, would you read these words? And the guy's like, why? Oh, but now he's going to evangelize. Now he's going to share the gospel because he didn't immediately read those words. Totally taking out of context what the author is meaning at that. But it doesn't just mean I, I declare these words. It doesn't just mean I say this out. As though someone who was unconverted could read the sentence up until that point and be like, hmm. I can't say anything else. I've got nothing else to say here. I can't, I can't read these words. No, Jesus doesn't say you will know them by the words that they say. Okay? The words you say matter. It's not as though they don't matter. Okay, but, but you, you must understand this idea that when Paul writes Romans 10 and verse 9, the one that's often used for this, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so we create 
you know, this little, okay, so this is what we need to do. We need to make sure they do this and this and this, and then they are saved. Okay, he's declaring this idea of Jesus being Lord in a time where you were to declare Caesar was Lord. If you were not to declare Caesar was Lord, when you were commanded to declare Caesar was Lord, you could be put to death. That was a requirement. Many thousands of Christians died because they, they refused they refused to bow down to an icon or throw some incense on a fire or do a, a small little sacrifice and say, Caesar is Lord. You can do all the Christian stuff you want to do. Just do this over here. And their refusal to say, Caesar is Lord, resulted in their martyrdom, resulted in their, their death. That is the context that Paul is talking about here. He's not saying, just get people to repeat something after you. Paul never intended us to pull the verse out of its context like that. No. Jesus says, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Sproul says this. I like how Sproul says this. You must not merely profess your faith. You must possess your faith. The faith that you are professing must be that which you possess. You must be declaring that which is True. What is it for me to say that I have faith in Christ when I don't really have faith in Christ? What, what benefit is, of, uh, is it of you to, to say that you believe something that you don't really believe? And the consequences of these poor evangelism techniques is that you have untold thousands of people, maybe more, walking around unrepentant, not going to church, completely disinterested in anything religious, disinterested in anything Christian. But that person will stand on the corner of the street in a drunken stupor arguing with you, I asked Jesus in my heart. The pastor told me I was saved. The pastor told me that I was going to heaven. I asked him in my heart. You must possess the faith that you are professing. What good is it if you say you have something that you don't have? Is that righteous? Is that, is that good fruit? If your profession is not your possession? No, I think that would actually be bad. How is that not dishonest? How is that not a violation of the ninth commandment? How is that not bad fruit? How is that not rotten fruit from a rotten tree? I believe that it is. If, if we profess what we do not possess, we are not bearing good fruit. We are lying. How can we call a false profession fruit? And it may take time to fully see where someone is. Someone can look like a Christian. Someone can do the dance. Someone can go along. Someone can go through the different ceremonies and, and fit in and go along but time is going to tell. Consider even someone like Judas. Were they all suspecting Judas the whole time? No, they trusted him. They trusted him even with the money. He was the treasurer. Jesus knew because he knew what was in the heart of man. But the disciples found out later on. It wasn't as though it was obvious then and there. Was Judas not professing faith in Christ? Was Judas not preaching the truth of Christ? But it was a lie. It was not within him, and it became evident in time. And so his profession that he gave previously was not good fruit. It was not legitimate. It was rotten fruit. It was hypocritical fruit. There is fruit in a true profession. The one who would declare faith in Christ. The one who would trust in Christ Jesus. As it says there at the end of 45, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks that's the beauty that is there. That which is in your heart is that what you're saying. And if it is a true profession, it's going to be lived out. It's going to be something that is demonstrated in a changed life. Leon Morris makes this point. He says, good people like good trees produce good fruit. The good man produces his fruit out of the treasure of his heart. It is what he has in his inner nature that determines what fruit his life will yield. So also with the evil man, his inner evil can produce only evil. The principle is stated at the end, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. There is always a reason for the things we say. 
Only words reveal what is in our heart. And this is something that that Jesus even said to to the Pharisees. He declared to them that they they were trees and they were they were they were not producing the fruit of repentance. They had many religious acts that they did. They looked very righteous before the people that they were around, but they were not changed. They were not affected. They were not distinct. There's a danger in presumption. There's a danger in presuming that because I have merely repeated something after someone else that I'm saved, there's a danger in presuming merely because I come from a certain background, I come from a certain family, I come from people who have just done things this way, this is just how we do it. There's a danger in trusting these things. Your hope must be in Christ. Your trust must be in Christ. And it's only in the changed heart, in the changed life, that true fruit can come forward. Luke 10, beginning in verse 26 and then verse 27, Jesus says this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is declaring there, as most of you know so well, he is declaring a a summary of the summary of the moral law. He is summarizing the Ten Commandments. How do I love God? Commandments 1 through 4. How do I love my fellow man? Commandments 5 through 10. That is how it is that I love God and I love man. And Jesus declares in there, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength with all your mind. This, this must be something that's coming from within you. It must be something that results in good actions, but they must be that which is flowing from the heart. The Pharisees had many actions that looked good. They had many actions that looked positive, but Jesus said they were bad trees. They, they, they weren't righteous. There are many religions that you can follow in this world that will work on behavior modification. They, they will affect you from the outside in, but they don't change you from the inside out. They don't deal with the bad heart. They don't deal with your own hypocrisy. They don't deal with your own um, trusting in your own goodness and your own actions. Rightly following the law of God, being obedient from the heart, as Jesus talks about, can only happen in one who has been changed and one who has been affected, and one who has seen their own sinfulness and found it hopeless to make themselves right before God through their own actions. That is every other religion in the world. There is but one, there is but one, whereby you can be saved by grace and through faith in that which changes you, that which affects you. And the Lord will produce that in you. It will change you. Prayer is that you're one who has changed, that you're one who has been affected. And we see these two things, the two trees, the good tree, the bad tree. We see the two fruits, the good fruit and the bad fruit. And I want you to see the reality, the two destinies for these two trees with these two fruits. Jesus says this in Matthew 7, 19 and 20. He says, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. He's dealing with with false prophets in much of his section, but is very much connected to those that have a false profession of religion as well. But we read in Matthew 25 earlier, we read verses 32 and 33. I want to continue with that for our closing, kind of looking at the destinies for these two trees with these two fruits. Let's look at verse 34 of Matthew 25. It says, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when Did we see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these my brothers, you did for me. 
He's speaking to those here who are in Christ Jesus, who have been saved and who have been given life, who have a changed life, and who are bearing good fruit at that time. And you have those in the second portion of this passage. Those bad trees that bear a false fruit. Beginning in verse 41, he says, Then he will say to those on the left, Notice that there's, there's left and the right. There's not a, a middle portion here of existence. Those on the left depart from me. You cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was hungry, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me naked, and you did not clothe me sick and in prison. You did not visit me. They will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And then he will answer to them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do to one of the least of these, you did not do to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. There are two distinctions here. There's two pathways. There's two destinations. There's two groups of people. There are those that are children of God. There are those that are children of the devil. There are those who are dead in their trespasses and sins, and there are those who are alive in Christ Jesus. And the fruit that the Lord produces in you does not justify you or make you right before God, but it is an evidence of the fact that you have been changed, that you have been affected. That's my desire for you to see and to consider these true trees before us and the fruit that is there. For which are you? For which side are you in? Are, are, you, are you a good tree or are you a bad tree? Are you a, are, are you, do you produce good fruit or do you produce a false fruit? Are you trusting in your own efforts to make you right? Are you someone who has been changed? For if you're in Christ, you will be changed indeed. You, you will be a new person. You, you will be affected. You will be changed. Those who have been changed are being changed. Those who are being changed have been changed. Where is your hope, dear friends? Is your hope in yourself? Is your hope in your own actions, your own religious activities? Is your hope in the work of Christ and the sufficiency of Christ? And the finality of Christ and what he has done. All of our works, the scriptures say, are like filthy rags. How could we add to what Christ has done? How could we increase his perfection? We would make it imperfect. No, dear friends, see Christ in his beauty and all he has done, all he has made in this world, the fullness of what he has created. That's what John talks about in his first chapter. Jesus is the one. He brought all things into existence from absolutely nothing. Jesus is the one who has given you life and has given you breath, and you have sinned against him. But he has made a means whereby you can be saved, whereby you can have life if you will but see your need of him, if you will but trust in him and turn from your sin. You will be saved. You will be changed. You will be affected. And as Jesus says here, you will bear fruit.